Welcome to the Alaskan Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gurker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help you to build an intentional and significant legacy for yourself and your family by coaching on real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to really shine a line on what it's like living up here in Alaska in an authentic way. You know, it's going to come from people who are currently living up here in Alaska, for the most part, have recently moved up here. And this week, what we're doing, we haven't actually done before, and that is just taking a compilation of all the conversations I've had with people on this podcast about their experiences on the Alcan Highway and putting it together into a compilation piece where you can kind of get a good sense for what it's like coming up here um, on the Alcan Highway and one centralized location. So do feel free to uh, to take advantage of this, uh, re-listen to it over and over if you need to, to really make sure that you're comfortable before you take on this little stretch of road. And do make sure you reach out to me if you do have any questions or concerns that I can help you with. Well, let's let's go ahead and look at some of the some of the nitty gritty details of you guys getting up here to Alaska. Then, so what were some of the the big challenges you guys had to kind of work through as you were making that move from California to Alaska? Um, I think. One of the hardest things for us was we sold probably 95% of our stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of hard to give up and thinking about kind of the money we spent all on all that stuff. And we kind of had to just start over that. I think that starting over with, for, you know, with material, sure. material like items was um, difficult, but not bad because we sold everything. Yeah. So it's not like we threw it away, but that was hard. Um, and then shipping the rest of the stuff we did want to keep, yeah. um, up here. So yeah, we shipped and we had the car fully loaded Yeah, for our drive up there. So we shipped like 14 boxes of our belongings up to Alaska and we drove just as much as we could, as much stuff as we could put in our car. Um, we did mm-hmm. and then just started the drive. Yeah. Yeah. So how much is that? That's a question I get so often from people wanting to move up here is how much did the, the shipping cost? Well, that's hard for us. The, yeah. I, um, so the quote that I got at a uh, full price for my 14 boxes oh, was around $3,000. Oh, gotcha. That's 14 boxes. And I think that was, it was close to 600 pounds of just our household items. So 600 pounds into 13 boxes cost about 3000, maybe a little bit more. I didn't realize you got the quote for that way. Yeah. But my, but I got a big discount because I did it through my job. So. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess kind of a, kind of a dumb rule of thumb, and I'm not even sure if anyone should take this to the bank or even use it as a rule of thumb, but uh, what is that? $20 per pound. Is my math working out? You know, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah, that seems about right. But yeah. we were looking because we were thinking about honestly hiring a semi company to ship all of our stuff because we really didn't want to give it up. And we got a quote for $5,000 for yeah. a one bedroom apartment. So that was our rough estimate yeah. was around $5,000. We also looked at getting a U haul. Oh, and that that was still around like four to five thousand dollars. And thank goodness we didn't because of driving through Canada. Once you get to closer to the Yukon, 
<laughs> the road conditions during the winter time are not the it best for you all. Rough. Yeah, that's that's not what most people are doing for fun in January. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we that drive we did not expect. We did yeah. not expect that drive. <laughs> yeah. So what? Uh, well, I guess that takes us to the uh, to the next thing most people are going to ask questions about. So how was that uh, drive through the Alcam? It was tough. It was yeah. like starting in Los Angeles, working our way through um, Oregon, oh, yeah. then Washington. It was easy. That was, that was easy. Yeah. But then you get into Canada and the first portion of Canada is good just because it's all city and everything like that. And it's all maintained roads. It's once you start leaving um, like the first couple of towns out of Canada, um, it started getting rough, especially past Prince George. Yeah. Because there's during the winter time, at least there's not many gas stations, not many lodges, um, we definitely, uh, had a hard time. There was a few times, um, where we were like kind of really starting to panic because we think we might run out of fuel because we just kept going from gas station to gas station that were all closed and we couldn't find one that was open. Yeah. You and, really had to, we didn't plan that out because we're like, oh, there's gas stations on the map. Like they're open. No, they're not. No, <laughs> no, they're not. And then you lose cell service like closer oh. to Yukon and then you start really just wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing, like just really the way it works, like you're going to run out of gas when you're super remote. So you've had enough gas to get to that point, but that's also yeah. where you're going to lose self perception. So yeah. yeah, not a great place to be in the winter time. <laughs> no. no, I mean, it was beautiful and everybody we met was completely nice. But at one point, I think for like three hours, we were going 30 miles an hour because it turns into a dirt road for a good chunk of time. And it was pure ice. Yeah. And they're, they were out there trying to plow and we went through an avalanche area. And I think an avalanche recently just happened before we drove through because only one lane was had, yeah. you know, was a lane and the other lane was just all this snow and they had all their machines out there. So it's it could be dangerous. We saw lots of wildlife. I mean, there was just sheep standing on the road and you know, deer just running across. Yeah. So biting our tongues the whole time driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh some at least you had like good scenery as you were worried about the gas running out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we found it actually safer and not safer, but cheaper and more reliable to do Airbnbs instead of staying at lodges. Oh, I didn't realize so, you could do that on the Alcan. Yeah. So actually the Airbnb option was perfect for us because we had fully loaded car and we just didn't want to leave it in a parking lot of a lodge somewhere. Yeah. So this way it was cheaper than most hotel rooms that we yeah. could find. And the prices compared to like the lower 48 were just, just completely cheaper. They yeah. had, less fees, less taxes. So we did that route. We stayed in Airbnbs every yeah. night. There was only one time where we, uh, I oh. forgot the town that we, it was, I think it was like an, like an Indian reservation kind of like thing in Canada. And it was just, I think there was two motels, one gas station and that was, and like one general store, probably something like that. And that's when we were like starting to really worry if we were going to run out of fuel and we came across it and we stopped there for the night 
And it was just this little tiny uh, room that we got. <laughs> wasn't the fanciest thing (laughs) um yeah but they had a restaurant there and we were able to eat and get our gas and everything like that and then we continued the next morning i think at like four o'clock in the morning because we calculated it could be our last day of driving it was a big snowstorm coming yeah when we were driving oh shoot yeah how how intense was like did you guys run into a, a lot of snow while you were out there or it didn't snow at all but there was just the roads the condition of the roads were just really bad yeah what about like the the wind did you have like a whole lot of like sideways wind that was kind of knocking you buffeting you around a a lot or through some of the canyons yeah yeah but nothing that you know was noticeable where truck drivers were pulling over or anything like that gotcha okay so what was it like getting through the, the border for you guys? Because <clears throat> I hear stories of people just getting through like there's like it just was no thing. Uh-huh. Like it almost wasn't even there. Yeah. And I've had other people who have complete horror stories. So what was y'all's experience? Well, for us, there was only two cars headed that direction at the time that we were going. I mean, it was us and another truck pulling a trailer and he eventually just let us pass him by because the road conditions before you get to the, the border are really bad. Um, but once you get to the border, there was nobody there. We actually had to wait a second for a customs officer to actually like show up to the window. <laughs> then he just asked us a few questions. He just kind of looked in the back, just glanced in the back and he was like, okay, here's your passports. You're all good to go. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean it's cold out there. They don't want to make a make a scene yeah. out of it. Just move yeah. it along. Okay, that's that's actually yeah. really good to know. Yeah, <laughs> it was easy for us. We researched everything, and you know you can't bring certain foods. And we actually made a list of everything that was in the car because sometimes they would we read that they would ask you what's in the car. So we made a list, and we had our vaccination cards, and we got tested to get through the border because we were very confused about that we we thought you had to get tested and be vaccinated at the same time and it just if you're vaccinated you're fine you don't need a test but if you're unvaccinated you don't need it or you need a test yeah and everything we're talking about was for the united states border going yeah yeah to go back into the united states now for canada it was a little bit more intense um because of covid um we didn't realize, so the day we were supposed to cross the border uh, into Canada, we saw that you had to fill out something on their webpage, all this information, um, and they also needed to see a COVID test, even though you were vaccinated. So we were vaccinated, but we still needed a COVID test, which we didn't know. So we started freaking out, trying to find one in Washington somewhere that meets the Canadian border uh, standards. We finally did that and then we get there and because I answered the question, yes, that we actually had COVID in less than 180 days. And if that's the case, then you didn't need to do the test. You had to prove your um, positive test results and then they would let you in. Oh. No, that's, we wasted a lot of travel day that day, just on not completely understanding the whole COVID thing because it just kept changing so rapidly. But once we got there and we talked to the guy, the guy was very nice, the uh, customs guy for Canada. Very, very nice. Um, asked us a few questions, just like, 
Do you have any guns like that? Uh, why are you moving to Alaska? It went, it was only like maybe five minutes of questioning. Yeah, that's fine. And I think because we did our COVID thing wrong, they had us pull to the side and not get out of our car. And then he came back with our passports and he says, you're all good to go. And that oh. was it getting through the Canadian. So both of them weren't bad. I mean, it was yeah. a pretty easy process. Yeah. Do you know if they're still, if they've still got all the, the COVID requirements or if they've started you know, to kind of back off of that a bit? I think they still have their mask mandate because I watch a, a YouTube couple and when they go into the stores, everyone's always wearing their mask. So I think it's still going yeah. there. Oh, good deal. All right. Well, do you guys have any tips for people who are moving along the Alcan? Um, plan on how much money you're going to spend on gas. Because Canada is very expensive for gasoline. And yeah, I would say plan that out. And research the gas stations and figure out which ones are open. Yes. <laughs> I mean, during the summertime, I don't Probably think it's easier. as much of an issue as it is during the winter time. But yes. Because we drove for five and a half days and we would do eight hours the last two days. I think we did 14 hours of driving. driving. So just plan, just plan it. Make sure you yeah. know where you're going to go and stay. And I would say that do the Airbnb option. It's beautiful and it's honestly a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, I, I hadn't even thought that there'd be Airbnbs along the way. So that's a great yeah. tip. The week we were moving, they started opening up a little more of the recreational travel. But um, during our planning phase, uh, it was it was still only you know, critical movement is required. Um, so what we did is we showed the Canadian government that we had housing for 60 days. We had uh, an appropriate amount of money set aside and we had a, a plan on paper to follow. Uh, and that certainly helped us when it came time to customs. You always hear nightmare stories. Um, I don't know whether it was just us being fortunate or the, the, you know, the thought out vibes that we gave to the Canadian government. Um, but when we showed up, paperwork in hand, planned in hand, ready to go, um, T's crossed, eyes dotted. They, they didn't even come out and look at the vehicles. They literally went through our paperwork, asked us a, a handful of questions, um, stamped us out and sent us on our way. We didn't have to do a two-week quarantine period. Uh, we didn't have any issues on that end. Um, but you, you definitely need to do your homework, have your plan, um, and not just in your head. You need to have it on paper for an official to, to see and review um, and I, I think that's what helped us at the end of the day. Uh, but it certainly, I mean, is quite a bit of work just digging up the information and then you have to go, you know, we had pets and people, um, and what they Canadian government classified as dangerous goods. You need to know what you have in your vehicle. You need to know how it needs to be labeled and transported per not only the United States regulations, but also the Canadian regulations. Um, and we, we the... had that all done. Yeah, what do they consider a, a dangerous substance? Fuels. Um, really? So okay. propane tanks, fuel cans, um, all of that kind of thing. Ammunition, firearms, um, uh, 
pet food, the, the food and frozen food you bring if you so choose. Uh, there's a lot of rules around that. It's really, just, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, I, I, whether or not they choose to enforce the rules, I don't know, but we, we had, you know, you have to have, they say your pet food has to be commercially purchased in a bag made in uh, North America. So, you know, whether or not they'd ever harass you about it, I, I, I can't, or can't say, um, but, but if you have all that information available, I think it looks good on you to them. Yeah, that, that's kind of was my experience going through it as well. I mean, as long as you had, I mean, I don't know about you, but we had like a, a spreadsheet literally that just showed, okay, this is exactly what's in this box. This is what's in this box. Mm. And we I mean, weren't quite to that level, but, but we, we knew it was on board, you know, if, and if they asked us, you know, and then I had the propane tanks mounted on the, the back of the Wrangler. Uh, they go, how many pounds of fuel do you have? Are you under this limit? I said, yes, all the tanks are labeled per your Canadian regulations. This is how many you know, kilograms of fuel I have on board. Um, so they did ask a little bit about that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, really what I'm hearing and what my experience has been is that if you know the regulations enough where you can actually quote it back to them, Mm-hmm. they're for the most part going to leave you alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, if they ask you a question, you, your response is what I didn't know. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's where people can fall into the trap of customs. Uh, but I, I a hundred percent agree. If, if you seem knowledgeable and you seem like, you know what you're doing, they, they didn't seem to give us a hard time. Yeah. I, I think really the issue people start having is where they, don't really know the, the rules or don't know them as well as they think they do. Mm-hmm. And then they start arguing with the customs guy and it's like, yeah, they're an uphill battle. <laughs> that's that's going to be an uphill battle, but not only mm-hmm. that, like customs is there not necessarily to, to just roll out the welcome mat. They're there to screen people out, not let yeah. people in if they're not going to play by the rules. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I, uh, I give customs a lot of crap, but, I know why. I know why they. Yeah, they do what they, they have do. a job to do. That's that's certain. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the about the route getting through Canada. Um, okay. How how quickly were you guys able to do it? Because obviously you had your had your son with you, and you know dogs and um, you know the whole crew. All so, that, yeah, yeah, everybody. So our our mileage total, we ended up just over three thousand miles. We did it in six days. I drove a twenty foot U haul with a um, full car trailer and a Wrangler on the back. My wife drove her Jeep, um, and it took us six days. We had one day to the Canadian border. We had about three and a half or so through Canada, and about another day on the um, the Alaskan side coming back down into South Central. Uh, the first day we made it to the border. We spent the night on the United States side. We hit the border first thing in the morning. Uh, there was literally one guy ahead of us in customs. So we were in and out of customs and I'd say less than 45 minutes. They didn't get into our vehicles. They didn't even go outside. They didn't roll up the door of the U-Haul. We were just knowledgeable, had our information ready, provided it to them. And they, they sent us on our way, thankfully. Uh, funny story that the day, the morning that we went, 
they have uh, an application called Alcan, which I highly recommend if you're going to be crossing the Canadian border. Uh, their system was down in the morning and my wife was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't have this finalized. And I'm like, look, we're a day and a half and our house is sold. Somebody's moving into it this morning behind us. So we drove to the border, explained our situation while having all that information ready. And we still didn't get harassed or anything, um, even though technically because we didn't use the Elcan app, um, not at our fault or anything. But uh, he did let us know we were technically supposed to quarantine but he didn't, he didn't end up going through with it at all. He let us go. Mm, um, but it certainly could have been much more challenging. We didn't, we had a plan for a quarantine period in a hotel, but for two weeks, but it really wasn't in the cards per se. Um, and, and thankfully everything worked out. Yeah. I, I, and I think the Canadians on the ground actually understand how nonsical the idea is that you're going to get over the border and then isolate for two weeks in yeah. the country. Just make, if you've got it, just get in, get out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were, like I said, three and a half days through Canada versus two weeks of sitting in there and then driving three and a half days. It doesn't, doesn't make much logistical sense, but. Right. Um, so what are, what are some of the, the tips you would give to um, give to people as they're, they're driving the Alcan then? I would say uh, strongly recommend um, three types of navigation if you can, two at an absolute bare minimum. So, you know, most people have a cell phone and or car GPS that works really well down in the lower 48, but a lot of those satellites don't get much attention paid to Canada. Um, as we found out, the, uh, the navigation in my wife's Jeep didn't work particularly well through the um, uninhabited parts of Canada. Our satellite radio on both of our vehicles doesn't work at all up here. So side note for those who want to pay for a year subscription to drive up here and not listen to the satellite radio. Um, that's certainly something to think about. Uh, maps are always a good idea. I felt like the route that we drove was relatively well signed uh, as far as informational signs go. I don't feel like at any point we were really lost, but um as people say, you know, you can drive for eight to nine hours in between nothingness um, and see uh, two or three signs. So to drive for a couple hours and not even see a sign is is going to be odd for a lot of people that aren't used to driving through open country. Uh, but I feel overall it was it was pretty well signed. Just like I said, that GPS and map information is, is always a good backup. Uh, what we also did was at the end of each day, we planned the following day. So, hey, we made it to our checkpoint or we didn't. How do we need to change our route for the following day? Do we need to wake up earlier and add a couple extra hours to the route? Um, about halfway through the day when we typically sat down and ate lunch, we tried to start calling when we were in the nearest city, calling around for hotels for the evening. Uh, if you hit one of these small towns at seven o'clock and think you're going to find a hotel room, you may or may not be mistaken. Um, so that is certainly something to consider. I would not advise planning your hotels ahead of time. Um, the first day we hit highway one was closed for a wildfire. So our first day we had almost a 500 mile detour. Um, so mm -hmm. that certainly would have thrown any hotel plans and reservations out the window. So uh, we're, we're a very properly planned family. 
Um, but unfortunately, this is one of those cases where it's it's just not going to be advantageous for you to have hotel rooms and all that pre-figured out. At least in our case, it wasn't, I should say. Um, but we were ready to camp, and but we did not actually end up having to camp a single night. We had a hot cup of coffee and a shower every night or morning, whatever it ended up being. Um, so that was pretty nice. We were, we thought for sure at least one, maybe two nights we were going to be camping out in the Yukon, but uh, that didn't happen. So my wife was happy about that. Uh, and it certainly made getting up and going in the morning a lot easier. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine, especially if you have a toddler. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. Uh, the, the fuel situation here, a lot of people talk about take extra fuel. Uh, I, I would never be a proponent and say it's not a good idea to have extra fuel. Um, my U-Haul was getting roughly six to seven miles to the gallon. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty steep. And when that fuel light comes on, it says 50 miles. It's more than, it's more about 35. Uh, I didn't have to use any fuel. I was pretty close at one point. Um, I would say if you have, you know, uh, a fairly modest fuel tank range, three to 400 miles on a full tank of fuel. I'd say if you fill up anytime you hit half a tank, you, you, you won't have any fuel issues. Uh, they're pretty good about signing, uh, you know, the big blue signs that say no fuel for 150 miles, etc. cetera. Uh, they were pretty good about having that signed. Um, but I'd say if you hit half a tank, start looking for fuel and I don't think you'd have any issues, but it's always a good idea to carry additional fuel. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, especially because some of those gas stations are sometimes can be closed out there and mm, there's not going to be anything that, that says that you just show up and it's like, well, they're closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, one thing we found obviously during COVID and all that, uh, you'd see a hotel on your phone. Oh my gosh. It's got a gazillion five-star reviews from three years ago. And you go there or you call them and they're like, oh yeah, no, we're, we're not going to be open. Or, oh, yeah, well, we decided to reconstruct part of our hotel at this time, so we're not available for guests. So certainly something to check as well um, is to make sure the, the places you may or may not plan to stay are actually open because that could be an issue. Yeah, in Hawaii, they've got something called island time. And on the Alcan, it's kind of the same thing. They kind of mm-hmm. just do their own thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, nice folks. Didn't, didn't meet a rude person. Um, like I said, had a, a, a bed and a hot shower every night. So I really, really no complaints as far as the drive went, the stretch between white horse Canada and toke is uh Brett treacherous. Um, so definitely plan on going significantly slower than the speed limit through that stretch. If you, if you try and plan your route very much. Uh, the road does get rough. Yeah, it's it looks like a scene from Mars. Yeah, it's like a bunny hill. Like that's yeah. really what it is. <laughs> you 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 wonder how it really connects two massive communities when the road conditions are like that. But you can drive through it. <laughs> yeah, guess guess we do it all the time. So it's possible. Just gonna lose an axle if you go blasting through there at seventy miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are some spots. Yeah, you slow down to 25, 30 miles an hour and go through the washes that have been repaved four or five times. So I had a big plan for the border. My plan was 
I sold all my guns before I left. I was just going to start fresh. Well, apparently Canadians think that every American needs to have a gun. Um, they didn't like that I didn't have guns and they didn't believe me that I sold them, even though after I showed them my bills of sale, uh, they said, yeah, we don't believe you pull in the lane eight. Um, yeah. Like, what do I have to gain? <laughs> and they were like, do you have any guns? I said, no. Have you ever owned guns? I'm not going to lie. I told them, yes, I sold them all. Who'd you sell them to family and friends? And then they looked at my dad and he they're like, does he have any guns? I'm like, yes, they're back in Pennsylvania where he lives. I'm moving to Alaska. Here's my employment letter. Anyways, three hours later, uh, they had ripped everything out of the Honda Pilot and the trailer. Luckily, they put everything back. I just didn't know where anything was anymore. So that was fun. <laughs> huh. Yeah, some people have got a really easy experience getting through the border, and some people get delayed three hours for um having owned a fire arm legally in your own country at some point <laughs> yeah um i mean the guy was the one guy inside was kind of nice he's like you know sometimes you know they say no guns we searched a vehicle there's like 12 guns and so um i think it would almost be better if you just took a couple of guns and you did the paperwork like you're supposed to. I just wanted to avoid all the paperwork, but apparently that didn't work. So that was getting through the border. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's a good start. How the rest of the journey through Canada go? Um, so it's not too bad. Um, it was pretty much good roads and everything until we got, to the beginning of the Alcan Highway, which is in Dawson Creek. Um, didn't have any problem finding hotels or any place to stay at up to that point. Um, so then once you actually get to Dawson Creek, you know, you're on the official Alaskan Highway. So um, I recommend getting a, a copy of the mile post. If you ever research driving the Alcan, you'll know the mile post is the book that you need to have. Um, it's not the gospel though, because there are things in there that are false. Like I remember my dad said, oh, there's a town five miles ahead. Um, we can stop there and get gas. It says starting the last spring, it was open year round. Well, that was a lie. Um, you'll notice now this was February. So I think a lot of things change in April. Uh, a lot of the towns start opening up. And when I say town, it's not really a town. It's like, um, it's like a building that's everything all in one. It's where you stay. So it's your lodging, it's your gas station, it's your restaurant. And then that's the town. So um, yeah, and the good ones that are actually open in the winter, they might be one to 200 miles apart. So in a Honda Pilot, pulling a trailer, you might get 200 miles on a tank. So I had four gas cans. I used two um, as on a rotating basis. So if I used one, I would fill it up with my gas tank the next time. And I only ever had to use two whole ones. So I didn't think that was too awful bad. No, that's, that's actually getting pretty good. 
I mean, yeah. most people will just take one just to be on the safe side. But I mean, especially, I mean, your, your, uh, your rig was not getting a really high efficient gas mileage. So um, you kind of have to, you kind of have to just know your vehicle, know your rig and know what's going to give you some kind of um, level of security. If you're um, driving up with an F-350, one gallon is not going to get you very far. <laughs> no, uh, but you might you might get a little better because you might t- be able to tow a little more efficiently as well. So it's, uh, you know, I took a little, a, a little trip with it beforehand on a highway. So I kind of had a good idea what my gas mileage would be. Um, another thing I learned, I didn't have this issue, but I've heard other people do is know how to fill up your gas tank with a gas can because some of them have a little valve in there and the nozzle at the, at the pump can get past it, but not necessarily that all the gas cans are able to do that. So there should be like a little funnel that comes with your vehicle or that you can get for your vehicle that actually bypasses that second valve. Interesting. I was not even aware of that. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, it's a, on more newer vehicles, especially the ones that don't have the, uh, the twist cap. I think that's the biggest part to it. So, um, let's see. Gotcha. But yeah. what was, uh, so other than, you know, having to, having to use the, the gas, the spare gas every now and then, um, were there any other big highlights that, uh, really came out of driving along the Alcan for you? Um, well, it was pretty much snowpack the whole way and that ends up turning into basically like ice. Um, so I took some notes. I have some notes here. Uh, I was driving roughly 60 to 85 kilometers an hour, which is about 40 to 55 miles per hour the whole time. And, uh, I was getting passed a lot by people driving like 65 miles an hour plus. Um, They must drive it all the time and are used to it. Uh, I don't really know, but there were some really fast drivers passing you. You just let it go. Um, Big trucks, I mean, like their tractor trailers pulling two trailers and you just slow down, let them go. That's... That was, that was like the safest thing I could see to do was just slow down, let them go around you. 